Welcome to the Everyman Global Live series. My name is Egypt McKee, and I will be guiding us through Scripture in this second lesson in the brand new series entitled That Guy. We're talking about leadership, but not so much as a business or a secular list of to-dos and not to-dos. Rather, from Scripture, we are learning from the lives of men uh, who have different walks of life, different places in life where some have authority, others do not, uh, and the things that we can learn from that. What I'd like to first encourage you to do is to download your notes so that you can follow along with me and write down your own thoughts, your own uh, perspectives here as we continue in this series. I want to start with a simple question, and that's about your feelings. How do you feel when someone good is rewarded? You ever think about that for a second? We rarely do. We usually assign a good feeling to that. But what about when someone good is condemned or judged? There seems to be an injustice there, and we have mixed reactions as to how we respond to that. And on the flip side of that coin, how about when someone bad, notably bad or even evil, does bad and is judged. We seem vindicated or liberated, even celebratory in some degree. But what about someone that is evil or bad, that is rewarded? Now, sadly, that is a, a common or a thing that we see uh, throughout life in just about every aspect of life, whether it's in business or politics or governance of any kind. We don't like to see bad people rewarded, and we don't like to see good people defamed. Now, as a setup to today's lesson, I want to I talk about one of the things that we discovered a little bit in the first lesson with Saul, and that is the idea or the premise of being in a position where we can begin asking the right questions. You know, when I'm with men uh, of any volume, whether it's a one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's a group, whether it's a conference setting or, or otherwise. I love the, the predecessor question that uh, I lay out on the, the platform for consideration as to how deep are you willing to go in this time together or this encounter that we have together. And sometimes that question might be, what question do you not want me to ask? Now, you'll get a mulligan just for one time. We'll give you one time to actually put on the carpet the question that you don't want asked because you don't want to face it or you don't want to admit it uh, or you don't want to be in a position where you're exposed for struggling with certain things in life that are embarrassing or shameful. But as men, we all have a track record of things that we either regret or that we wish we could go back and do better maybe a, a little bit more efficiently um, so that the outcome would be completely different from our experience. As we look forward, I just want to appeal to you as men. You know, this is one of those times where we set aside time to get into God's Word, to do more than just glean from the learnings and the teachings of the Holy Spirit, but really to understand what another man's life looks like and what he must have considered when he was faced with an obstacle or a distraction uh, or a circumstance that required him to demonstrate leadership far beyond his ability. 
That is such a man that we are about to see. If you think of leadership as being similar to that of a muscle, you know, you, you go to a gym, you work out a muscle, or maybe you have a gym at your home or your apartment and you, you do some exercises and, and for the moment, yeah, you kind of feel strong. And, and then you do a little bit more, you, you find out you're not as strong as you thought you were. But it's the next day, it's the day after the next day that you start to find out how much work you put in, how much it hurts. And it's that hurt that either leads you back to resolve that hurt by working out more consistently, getting to the place where you no longer hurt, or you just deal with the hurt for as long as it takes till your body hurts no more, and then you decide, I'm not doing that again. Now, many of us find ourselves in both sides of that equation at one point in our lives or not, but it can be said that the atrophy of leadership in men is directly related to the spiritual decline in spiritual literacy within our family structure, within our cultural structure, within the, the, the common market of just talking about godly principles and understanding what it is that God is teaching each of us as men. You know, at one point or another, you have to admit, you're sitting down somewhere and you just start brainstorming. And in your brainstorming, you, you might come across this question, Lord, what do, you want, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Where, what am I supposed to do? I've tried that before and it doesn't work. And it's interesting that God's will is not wrapped up in a list of to-dos that if you exercise leadership in one aspect of your life or you fail to exercise leadership in another aspect of your life, that somehow qualifies or disqualifies you from leadership. Now, as men, God has created us as leaders. By default, you are created to lead in one way, shape, or form. The real question is, is have you met that calling to the standard for which God has called you to. We learned that in the previous lesson, but as we move forward here, we see that godly men are under assault in every vein of life. It's an amazing thing. We see television shows where husbands and men are looked at as babbling buffoons, somehow unable to make a decision, incapable of holding a relationship. Uh, the, inability to tell the truth, scandalous, you know, conniving, trifling, you know, just men that will do any and everything like we're just a, a scary carnivorous creature that is just left out to hunt or be hunted. We see that men are also uh, in a position where we have failed to disciple or mentor the next generation or even this generation for that fact. For sadly, we now have young men going around that pretend to be men, that somehow their manliness or their leadership is uh, somehow revered by way of beating up on others who are weaker, maybe someone who's physically weaker, mentally weaker, maybe the elderly, maybe vet veterans. You've seen the same and heard the same crazy stories that have been reported either in the news or they're floating around on social media. But we've come to see these things and we're outraged by the lack of leadership, the lack of restraint, the lack of honor and dignity in men 
in general, and we say, well, I'm not like that, and if I put myself over here, then somehow we put those other people over there. That works out for me. We also see uh, men who are you know, having multiple children and refusing to be uh, in any way, shape, or form related to their child, or giving their child time, or the wife or the mother of their child, any kind of time or respect. And what it's done is we've developed and replicated generational lacking leadership. And in each generation, that lack thereof of leadership is creating its own different brand or version of leadership, which is corrosive and toxic and ultimately destructive to the soul. So what we see is others following this new brand of leadership that we wonder, is that person worth following? Is that a, a brand or value that I want to invest my life in and say, I look up to this individual, whether they're uh, a celebrity or a, a professional athlete or a politician or a business leader, whatever the case may be, men inherently, as do women, as all people, we have flaws. We are flawed, sinful creatures. But we have to ask questions that go far beyond copying or repeating what someone else has done to earn their level of success or adopted success in this world. And we really must, as men, step back and seek God's provision in His wisdom, in His divine direction on what it is that He wants us specifically to do. You know, oftentimes I hear people uh, respond uh, and particularly men, I love this thing because it, it used to be such a common phrase. It isn't as much anymore, but people would say, oh, well, that's a God thing. That's a God thing because someone, you know, God did something good in your life or he did something good in your life. That's a God thing. And the Lord impressed upon me some time ago. He said, listen, a good thing is not a God thing until God assigns that good thing specifically to you. Now, let me repeat that because that's a very important lesson to be learned is that a good thing is not a God thing until God assigns that good thing specifically to you, which means this. The one thing that we desire you not to do is to sit here and look at my life or look at another's life or prop a man up and say, I need to just repeat everything they're doing. And what they've been called to is if I repeat that, then I will have the same results. But oftentimes we have men falling away and distracted and discouraged and depressed because they tried being like someone else, but God didn't design them that way. And maybe that's you to some degree that you've heard all of the lessons learned from others and you've tried and failed miserably, but here you are again, because the Holy Spirit has you back here today, listening specifically to what you should be hearing today to deposit this investment of God's word in your heart so that it can produce the kinds of correction and angle of attack so that you can get to where you, you need to be, but you'll get there by consistent and obedient devotion to his word and listening in doing his will. So let me ask you this question. Have you looked at culture around you? I mean, we see it in a lot of different ways. I mean, don't relegate it solely to the news or social media. Those are, are media-driven perspectives on culture. I'm talking about the culture that you interact with personally and very specifically. 
But have you, in, have you at all recognized the invading forces in culture today? I mean, this is an amazing thing. Wait a second. Invading forces? Egypt, what are you talking about? Uh, who's invading my culture? There is an invasion that has taken place here in culture, some of it invaded by the opinions of well-known celebrities and sports figures and politicians and otherwise. This isn't a, an argument against or for them. It's an argument for who are the contributors to creating culture and counterculture. Because God's word is truly counterculture of what we have seen to be widely accepted, widely believed, widely worshiped, and widely practiced. We don't see God's word moving in that way without God's men. And that means you, and that means you very specifically. So when you think about what is your role or what is your responsibility, hey man, are you kidding? I'm not a, I'm not a speaker guy. I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't prepare lessons. We prepare lessons every single day. I guarantee you if you were trying to pitch your spouse or pitch your boss on a vacation or something that you desperately wanted, I assure you, you can come up with the words. You can come up with the angles. You can talk about the cost benefit. You can really get deep into why this is a value add to everyone who would be touched by your presence. You would find ways to justify the things that you are most passionate about. And I pray that the thing that you are most passionate about is that spirit of God that is living inside you, that is seeking to work through and around you so that other men can come to know him in a similar like way and also fulfill the purpose for which they were created. Listen, God has both a defined and prescribed prescription for leadership. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over again. I love it because he's defined it and he's prescribed it. And he's done so here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. What I want you to do is just read along with me here. Verse 43 begins by saying, You heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. There is a lot in there to either unpacked <laughs> or unrestrict from our common understanding of what we think it means to love our neighbor. Now, would it be easy to love a neighbor who is lovable? Of course it would. Is it easy to love a neighbor who is unlovable, who is spiteful? who is angry, who is bitter, who is unforgiving, who is relentlessly wicked. Some of you have neighbors like that. They may live next to you. They may even live in your house for that fact. You may work for a, a boss you might consider to be a neighbor in this regard that is difficult to love. Well, Jesus didn't give conditions for what's acceptable versus not acceptable in your condition of loving. It is conditionless. It is unconditional, as it were. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what we've come to learn, and we've ingrained that in ourselves because it is a self-justification that I will love those who are lovable, but I will hate those who 
are easily to be hated. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to love your enemies and then I want you to go do something that you don't like doing. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to despise doing this part. But bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. Now, wait a minute. Why on planet Earth would I suggest to you as a man today that you would listen in and take away from this lesson that you should be doing what you don't want to do? This lesson was never about what you like or dislike, what you want to do versus what you don't want to do. You know, there is a symbiotic relationship between trust and obey. If you trust, you will obey. So if you trust Jesus, you will obey Jesus. And you won't obey Jesus with the sense of the biting on the tongue and the groveling, you know, and ah, oh, I just, it's against your will. He's literally dragging you by the hair, kicking and screaming all the way there because you know what's better for you more so than Jesus knows what's better for you. Let's be careful as men that we don't commingle our worldview with God's word. You know, we've said a lot of things over time that have become sayings. Sadly, those sayings have become scripture in the hearts of those who don't know him, and they become doctrine in the hearts of those who do know him. Sometimes we say things like, God won't give me more than I can handle. Well, what are you talking about? God won't give you more than you can handle. He's always given you more than you can handle. That's so that you can lean on him. So that is a, a void, empty, bottomless saying that tragically is rarely challenged as being false. Otherwise, a lie. Another might be, God don't like ugly. Now, I've heard this a lot, and I always say, well, listen, he, he, he like you, right? <laughs> I mean, oh, Kenny, he like me. I'm ugly. But, and, and, and if you think you're pretty or you're handsome, we can get ugly in a hurry. God loves you. And his love was not conditional upon your physical appearance, your performance, your plan, or even your participation in some cases. He went to the cross without needing any of those things. He did for us what we never did for ourselves. And if we could do them for ourselves, we failed to do so, and we could never fulfill what he has done for us in his shed blood on the cross, specifically for us today. Now, if we live in that truth, the byproduct of that is living as a, a man who is a leader by definition, by birth, by calling, but also we are a leader by opportunity, and we are a leader out of joy. Meaning, our perspective is shaped in such a way we don't have to do leadership. If that's the way you think of leadership, then you've reduced it to being something that you can put, a business card you can put in your pocket and forget about over time. It's not what you have to do. Here's a better perspective. It's what I get to do. Are you kidding me? I get to be a leader today. Now, Lee, being a leader doesn't mean that I'm going to do everything right, that I'm going to come land on everything perfectly. I'm going to say every word properly. It's, it's just going to be excellent. No, there are some things that I have to learn, and I will continue to learn. By definition, I will continue to learn. That is the process of being humble, as well as it is the process of being sanctified, being set apart. I'm being set apart from this version of myself, this nastiness, this grossness, this dark, chaotic, 
out of control, sinful being to being set apart as a holy man, set apart for God's purposes and his alone. We say things like money is the root of all evil. <laughs> well, then there will be those who will be happy to come along and collect all yours so that you can be holy. Well, listen, money is not the root of all evil. The scriptures actually specifically say that money is at the root of all kinds of evil, meaning people are willing to do all kinds of things to get paid without ever once thinking, is this just? Is this right? Is this holy? Is this even appropriate? Does this glorify God? If we had many of those questions at the front end of many of our decisions, I hasten to say that the results of our lives might be radically different than what we are experiencing currently. Follow along with me here in this next verse. I love this, and this is really the setup for where we're headed in this lesson today. And it comes from us out of Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to listen very closely. It says, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, and he is referring to Jesus, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant, who was, a de who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one who in whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man placed under authority. Having soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This is one of the most powerful testimonies I have read in all of Scripture. And I am forever amazed at the depth of it because I feel like a brand new child being born into the world every single day that I hear it. But Jesus marveled at an unsuspecting truth coming from a Roman occupier of all people. Think about that. So as we press on, there are three things we're going to cover today and I want to get to them because I want to get to the meat of the lesson. First, your position matters. Don't think that uh, your authority and your power that you've been placed there by accident or it's random or you were the next man up. It may appear that way to you, but your position matters. Your faith matters. This is vitally important. True faith acknowledge. It matters. And finally, your response to truth matters. Your response always matters. True unbelief acknowledged is very important to, in the life of a leader, very important in the life of a man. Galatians 5, 6 through 9 says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. For he was the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Important, important that you think about the concept that Jesus holds no preferential treatment. 
you don't get ahead of the line because you know somebody, 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 or oh, that's my people up there, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to cut in line here or I'm going to work my way around. I don't have to go through that part of life and those trials and that circumstance or, or that learning experience. I'm just going to cut that all off and just jump to chapter nine and, and I'm just going to go ahead and start there. No, Jesus holds no preferential treatment, and that is important that you understand that. The Lord Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I always say, listen, you know, when you're at the barbecue and, you know, you're up to get your, your barbecue, just make sure you're not on the menu. There are ravenous wolves out there that put on pajamas that look like sheep, but they're not sheep. And you have to listen to them carefully because it can be asked of you, do you know truth when you hear it? Because when you do, you hear your master's voice. And when he calls, you respond. Scriptures tell us in Galatians 5, and 23, one of my favorite, for the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is a powerful thing. If I were to hold up an orange and take a segment of that orange out and hold a piece of the orange here and a piece of the orange here, I could say to you, well, what do I have in both hands? And thinking like we do as men, we could say, well, you've got uh, an orange in one hand and an orange in another. And I would say, no, I have a part of an orange in one hand and a part of an orange in another hand. The fruit of the Spirit cannot be dissected and pulled apart as to we're only going to work on kindness. And there are so many in this world that spend all of their life, their entire sum of their life is spent on being good to other people. I just want to be a kind person. They just shun the fruit of the Holy Spirit which is complete. It is those nine, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I love the ninth being self-control because it's literally like a book in, in some respect. If you think about what does love look like without self-control? Well, you just love anyone without any real discernment or really you just get walked on like a doormat. But self-control allows us to enter into things. It also allows us to restrain from engaging in certain things. So my first point is this, and this is important. The first point is respect. Respect the authority that God has given you to serve and glorify Him. Did you know back in the 1940s and 1950s, let's just say men were sitting uh, somewhere in an office or uh, at a home and uh, they were having a meeting or just talking as men, nothing all that big, but a woman entered the room. The men would all stand up until such time she left the room. Do you know why men did that at that time in history? Yeah, many of you do know why. It is a sign of respect. When a lady enters the room, we stand to honor her. A, A position of honor that we rarely see happening today. And when you understand the authority that God has given you to serve and glorify Him, you also are anticipating and awaiting those opportunities because you're not waiting for an opportunity to slap you in the face. The opportunity has always been there. You haven't been ready. And I think that's what we need as a position or spirit of readiness so that we can execute when those opportunities present themselves. Scripture say in 1 Peter 5.5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to to your elders. 
all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. Here's what's amazing about this, that the scriptures literally require that the younger submit yourselves to the older. And you might say, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. I'm a young guy. Why do I want to submit myself to the old guy? Because now the old guy's done to tell me what to do and, and get me to clean his house and cut his grass and do all the work. And, and, and I'm going to be stuck with just being a do, do, do guy, something to do. But the scriptures don't end there. Younger, submit yourselves to the older. And then all, that means older and younger, all of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, which means humility is not a one-way street. It is shared amongst both men of God because they recognize who has called them to this act of obedience. Proverbs, Proverbs 12.2 says, A good person will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a person who desires evil. Interesting enough, if we look at our pride, we want to be careful because as men, pride may be the very singular ingredient that keeps us from maturing in our faith as men and as leaders. Pride. I'm not talking about just the inability to say, I'm sorry, or I'm responsible. I will repair or fix that. I will take sole responsibility. I will lower myself that someone else is lifted up and I will support that. This goes far beyond that. You know, I referenced a verse in the previous lesson in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. This is really important when we think about our readiness, both in our season when we think that God has called us into an active ministry opportunity and out of season. It's that time in between workout sessions. It's, ah, I'm not really trying to strengthen myself you're never not trying to grow and develop yourself in God's word and maturing in him. Maturing is not only what happens when the body and the mind ages. Maturing is a place of depth and perspective and obedience and surrender to God so that our roots grow deep, strong, and wide so that when we serve the Lord, we will be similar to the scripture that says, we will be like a tree planted firmly by the water and its branches go up high where the birds of the air come from afar to rest in its, in its branches and the beasts of the field come to gain its shade underneath. That's a powerful thing and a powerful message for all of us to take away with us. The second point is this, is to exercise. Exercise your faith and obedience to God's faithfulness. I mean, that, that is an amazing thing in and of itself if I just stop there. It reminds me of the saying that God's past faithfulness demands our present trust. And this is also true for us as men. Luke chapter 7, verse 6 says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. Let's just point this out here about this centurion soldier. A military man, a military leader who understood the importance of hierarchy, chain of command, authority. I am a man under rule. When I am ordered to give an order, I give it. And my men who are placed under my authority do so. Now, this man was not only a military, Roman military officer, 
but he was also a member of the military occupying force in the nation. This is a powerful thing to think this would be a naturally hated or despised man. But here's a man who recognized his authority is limited underneath the leadership of those who are over him. And he explaining this to Jesus, recognize Jesus, I don't even need you to come into my house. I really don't even need you here to come to my town for that fact. I just need you to say the word. I recognize your authority is far greater than my own. And because of my perspective uniquely in the Roman army, that when you were given an order, you do. There is no or else, or else you're replaced because you're no longer living. It's that simple. So here's a man who grasped that so much so that Jesus marveled at this understanding that the occupying force oppressor would be the one to understand God's truth before the leaders of Israel. What an amazing but sad testimony in some degrees in regards to what leadership looks like. It isn't the military that is the leadership. It is the military structure that brought this Roman centurion to a place of profound understanding of what it meant to receive an order and to execute it. And when to be given an order to do something you do and recognizing the power and authority that is both above you and below you and operating within that dynamic. Scripture says in Proverbs 20 verse six, many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Well, that's a great question because finding great friends doesn't just happen like you're shopping for groceries. Finding true friends takes time, it takes failure, it takes commitment, it takes intentionality in, in binding yourself and doing life together in the sense of regularity and understanding someone's weaknesses, their faults, and their, their talents, their gifts, their passions, and their desires. But before that ever takes place, it's really understanding who God's created you as a man to be so that you live the life that God's called you to. My third and final point is this. Never forget the wonder of God's presence in your life. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget the wonder because the moment you stop wondering how awesome is my God and you don't have to even say awesome, you know, with this, this sense of strain in your voice. How awesome is he? He's awesome whether you do that or not. Our God is an awesome God. Whether you sing it or not, our God is an awesome God. Whether you read it or not, he is the Lord. Scripture refines and defines once again in Psalm 139, 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Can you say that as a man of God today? I know that full well. And later in Psalm 119, 16 says, I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Don't ever forget God. Don't ever forget his presence in your life. He's gone before you, he's behind you, he's with you, he's under you, he's above you, he's on the sides of you. He has never allowed you to be plucked out of his hand. And that is hope for today that is relevant. Lord God, I pray, keep me from desiring worthless things. Let me close on this point here. God's men are masculine and everybody knows it. God's men are masculine. Now, wait a second. We live in a culture of demasculinity, toxic masculinity. Masculinity looked at in, in such a way that it's, it's something wrong with us. 
for being chivalrous? Is something wrong for, with us with being humble? Is something wrong with us for engaging and protecting? Is something wrong with us for following God? We're different, all right, but we're masculine. And being that guy for you today means God's men are humble and loyal in leading others placed under their authority. Your position matters. God placed you in a specific position for a specific reason. Also being that guy means that God's men are obedient and responsive to the Lord's directives in all circumstances. We really don't have the purview to pick and choose which way we want to go and what circumstance we think is safe or safer or less confrontational. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> For each of us, we really do need to respond when God calls. And finally, being that guy means God's men are in awe of the Lord's presence and power in their lives. Your response to truth matters. Your responses matters. How you respond matters. Being in awe of the Lord's presence and power in our lives means everything. Listen, I've enjoyed this lesson with you today. My hope and prayer is that you were able to pull something very specific from the life and the faithfulness of the Roman centurion. Here's a man of the occupying Roman military force who actually understood the principles of leadership and explaining them to Jesus so much so that he exercised his faith and Jesus healed his beloved servant and didn't even go to the man's house. That in itself is awesome. That in itself is something to write about, talk about, pray about, worship about. But what does that mean for you today, no matter where you are? at the coffee table, hanging out with friends, in the car, listening on the radio, whatever you're doing, there is hope for you very specifically today if you'll receive it. So listen, as we wrap up today, I want to thank you for joining me again in this second lesson in the brand new series entitled That Guy. If you'd like to know more information about me, please feel free to contact me through the information we've placed here on the bottom of the screen. And as you do, I look forward to discussing things with you in the days to come as well. Listen, let me close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for every man, every ear that has ears to hear. I pray that you step into each of our lives, literally invade our space. You be the beachhead that I talked about in the first lesson. You be the beachhead that it occupies our space, our time and our thoughts. Make us the men that you've called us to be in this very moment and in this very day, go before us, show yourself strong. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again, gentlemen. I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you in the next lesson 